Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamet Synagogue in Chicago speaks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Mishpatim, From Canaan to Whole Foods, a conversation about Kashrut. When you were growing up, did you grow up in a kosher home? No, I did not. Uh, my mom grew up in a kosher home, and uh, she was very excited to get married and start her own family, so she didn't have to keep a kosher home anymore. So uh, I heard stories about it, and I heard about my, my grandparents, who lived in Puerto Rico for decades, having to fly in kosher food from Kansas City um, for some reason, uh, because they couldn't get any kosher food in Puerto Rico, but they kept kosher even there. I didn't realize that that was going on. Kansas City to Panama. That's wow. the story they told me. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they were just eating pork all the time, and that's the, that's the that's the story they came up with to uh, cover. We're gonna we're gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. So, but you live in a, you have a kosher home now. Yeah, uh, Jennifer grew up kosher. Well, when she was a teenager, she asked her parents to kosher the house. Um, and they agreed to it much uh, to their credit, I think. And then when Jen and I started dating for a while, uh, when we when we moved in together for a while, I was not keeping kosher. And, um, you know, I was eating on paper plates when I brought in food that wasn't kosher. Um, the kitchen was kosher. So then eventually I just felt like, well, you know, we're going to be living together. We're going to get married. We should uh, get on the same team here. And I started following uh, the rules of kosher because um, I wanted to be a good partner to her. And I wanted to you know, make sure I didn't lose her. Um, but then I began to really like it. I really liked the discipline of it. I liked having some some structure around what I could and couldn't eat. I liked the fact that it made me think every day about my religion and even made me think every day about whether these rules made any sense. Every time you think about eating, you have to think about these these rules. And I really came to, to like that. Structure and discipline is are like the, the first words that come to mind when I try to describe why it felt right to me. Does any of this apply to your own Jewish identity? Does it reinforce it? My own story is different. My grandparents kept a strictly kosher home. I uh, came to Kashrut when I was in uh, college. I started to get more interested in Jewish things and uh, began to experiment with Kashrut and found it to be meaningful. But for me, it you know it wasn't the love of a woman, but it was more or less the pursuit of kind of discovering what Judaism was about. And so I've always found kashrut to be a, uh, a very powerful element in um, reinforcing Jewish identity and a kind of a Jewish viewpoint on the world. Well, for me, as you may have noticed, I, didn't, I wasn't going to synagogue every week. <laughs> and um, I wasn't really doing anything outside of you know the occasional visit to, to shul and the holidays. So to have something that was a daily part of my life that reminded me of my religion and that made me think about the laws by which we're supposed to live. I found that really powerful because it, it really does become a guiding part of your day-to-day -day life. Well, in this week's portion, you see the kind of odd history of kashrut, things that we take for granted, because we've been talking about some pretty lofty and powerful ideas, whether it's Jewish identity or a structure to the world boundaries, all of those ideas. And yet the origins of kashrut and the most basic element of kashrut of separating milk and meat has its origin in this week's portion in a verse that I'm not sure you would have identified as a verse about, about kashrut. It says, Don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. 
Now, if you came across that commandment, would you make the jump to no cheeseburgers? <laughs> no, I would just say, okay, no problem. I'm good. You know, okay. let's move on. What's the next rule? Because yeah. that one's easy. I can do that, right? It's repulsive. I mean, who would think to do that? So I'm good. But what's interesting about it is that when you look at this law and begin to uncover it, what you are actually looking at is the passion of a people to hear the word of God in the text. And let me just kind of explain that because it's just a kind of crazy lofty idea that I just threw out. Archaeologists tell us that the Canaanites, the people who preceded the Israelites on the land, had a New Year's practice. And the New Year's practice was to take the milk of a mother, of a kid, and boil the kid in its mother's milk. So it'd be a goat, and you take the milk, and you would do this. And it's such a, a far-fetched, cruel idea. One wonders why anybody would ever think to do this. But if you think about our own high holiday practice, the Utanatokef, every year we stand up, in this very dramatic and powerful moment. And we say, who will live and who will die. So at the beginning of a new year, we look at life and death. And so here's this very dramatic moment where your Canaanites are doing this in a very visual way. I imagine that you would agree with me that will get you to think for a minute. Yeah, it sounds fairly barbaric. It sounds bizarre. But then again, who who are we to judge by the standards of those days, right? The rituals back then were probably not all a squeaky clean. Right. I'm not sure that PETA would, would have approved of them. That's true. What I wanted to also note is that the Canaanites disappear. Their culture disappears. Maybe, as some scholars say, the Torah was simply saying, you're going to be living on this land. Don't do that. Don't take on this ritual of the Canaanites. But in time, the Canaanites disappeared, but you have this law, don't boil a kid in its mother's milk, three times. It's, it's not in the Torah once in the Torah. It's in the Torah three times. So when you can't understand what it meant in its context, either you discard it, you say this is anachronistic or, you know, well, okay, I won't do that, or I will try and give it meaning. And the way that I'm going to try and give it meaning is it must have something to do with milk and meat. There's something about mixing milk and meat. And you can start to see how the idea begins to evolve. It moves on to dishes and silverware and all the rest. It's the evolution of an idea, but what's driving it is a people's desire to make the words of Torah relevant. Yeah, it's, it's a hard sell, though, because it seems so arcane and it seems so random. And, you know, is it really just saying be better than the Canaanites? But it's not saying be kind to animals. It would be so much easier to, to sell this and to uh, to market it if it were about being kind to animals uh, as opposed to something um, that we have to kind of invent to fit, to fit what we don't understand. I love the way you're putting this because, you know, it's kind of a hard sell. <laughs> right? I love that because it's such a modern approach to halakha, to Jewish law selfish approach right. to right no it's not, no 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 that's not what i was saying at all what i'm actually saying is that it's a commandment so in a sense god doesn't need a pr agency right do this don't do this and so the law evolves and ultimately either people do it or they don't do it clearly this law resonated 
in the minds of people because they took it on. But in our modern world, we think in terms, and this is very much a part of certainly the non-Orthodox world, how do I sell this? How do I approach people in a way that they're going to find meaning and relevance? It's not meaningful enough to simply be a commandment, right? It was meaningful enough to you as a commandment, you wouldn't have needed your relationship with Jennifer to begin to keep kosher. That's right. I would do it because I felt like it was a core of, of the religion and it was told what God wanted me to do. But in this case, it's a more complicated contractual obligation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Moreover, I think that the reasons for our actions will often evolve over time. What made sense in one era may make sense from a different perspective in another. So let me give you an example. In theory, the laws of Kashrut should make you more aware and more sensitive to the world around us, the manner in which we treat the earth, and the manner in which we treat animals. Because the way that Kashrut is set up is that you must slaughter the animal in the most painless way possible. So we're building a sensitivity there. We're building a boundary. That idea resonates for people today, right? Just walk into Whole Foods and you see, you know, ethically sourced and all of the different categories and the manner of free range chickens and, and everything else. So there is a sensitivity to these ideas. And I don't think there's anything wrong in saying this is a Jewish idea as well. And so that when you keep kosher, you are developing the same ethical framework. That should be the idea of it. So I think that this notion that ideas evolve, and whereas the original commandment may have had everything to do with the Canaanites and nothing to do with kind of an ethical sense of kindness and cruelty to animals, the fact that our emphasis might be about kindness and cruelty to animals today should also have a bearing, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I would suggest to you, and I, and I, I mentioned this at the beginning, and I do want to come back to this, I do believe that kashrut remains one of the most important elements of Jewish identification today. Keeping kosher is a constant reminder that you are part of a different people and that you are identifying with your, the family of the people of Israel. And I think that's very important. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and I like the idea, um, as you're saying, of this evolving document, this evolving law that may have begun as a response to the Canaanites and then turned into a way of identifying ourselves as being more considerate or just being different from the Canaanites and that it can evolve today to help us to think more about taking care of animals and taking care of the earth. That's the kind of evolution that makes it a, a growing and living document and that um, helps what I, you know, what I said so crudely about uh, making this easier to sell. Uh, it makes it a better sell because it, it teaches us how to live today. I think that's right. And the more that we can look at an issue today and see the Jewish approach to it and then try to take that approach and make it part of our own worldview, the more alive Judaism will be today and it'll be tomorrow. So on that happy note, I wish you a kosher day. <laughs> Same to you. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs>